Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. You know, as I was thinking about this passage, there was a, an old song that came to mind, a kid's song I learned growing up. Maybe if you've been around the church, you have heard this song before. It's the song, Jesus Loves Me. Any kids in this room know the song, Jesus Loves Me? All right, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. I'd have us all sing it, but you know, at this point. But I, I thought of the, the opening line of that, pass, of that, that song that I sang ever since I was a little kid. Jesus loves me, this I know. And it made me think, how do I know? It gets easy sometimes as a kid, you're going up, you affirm, you sing a song, Jesus loves me, yeah, I know this, but, but how do I actually know? Like, how do I know that God loves me? Not just know that in like an idea sense, actually know that in a personal way, know that in my heart, know that in my experience. Because I think if we're all honest, at some point we struggle with the idea of God's love. We struggle to know that God loves us. You know, sometimes we face really challenging seasons of life. I was actually out yesterday taking a walk through the woods, just enjoying kind of the the beauty, but also just reminded that sometimes we enter into winter seasons of life where we just feel like things are dead, like there's no hope, like what is going on around me? And I think oftentimes when we enter into those seasons, we wonder, does God really love us? How do, how do I know that? It doesn't feel like it right now. Or sometimes we're flooded with the guilt of past mistakes or things that have happened in our life that when we look back, we, we recognize and think, man, there's no way God could love me because of that. Because of that experience. Because of something I've done or something that's been done to me. Or so, many of us sometimes have that nagging voice of doubt that comes and creeps in that tells us, no, God, God doesn't really love a person like you until you do X, Y, and Z. Until you clean your act up just enough. It's easy to affirm in a song, Jesus loves me, this I know, but, but with all that that we experience so often, how can we confidently say, how can we sing that chorus, yes, Jesus loves me? Well, in some ways we can know because as the song said, the Bible tells us so. And this morning we're going to look at a passage that I think helps all of us think through what does it mean to know God's love? You know, we've been in this series that we've called The Forgotten Virtue. We've been looking at the book of 1 John in an effort to learn to love again, to help remind us of the call that God has to love and be people of love. And then the second half of John's letter that he writes, John focuses around the idea that God is love. In the first half, he really focuses around the idea that God is light. And if God is light, then we should walk in light as God is light. But in the second half, he shifts to the reality that God is love. And he begins to instruct us in that idea. And last week, Pastor Joel did a great job of reminding us that ultimately, because God is love, love is defined by who God is and what God has done. That when we look at who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we get a more perfect understanding of love. 
and the God who is love. And when we look at Jesus, that he came and died for our sins and rose again, we see God's love in action. And so John, right before our passage this morning, does a great job defining love, but he doesn't want us just to be able to define love. John's heart is that we would actually experience that love for ourselves, and that that love would begin to define our reality. And so in John chapter 4, he moves from the first half of defining love to now encouraging us in how we experience God's love. How does this happen for John? How does love move from something defined to something experienced? Well, for him, it ultimately comes when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. What John wants us to see in this passage time and again is that to believe in Jesus is to know God's love. It's to know it. Not just know it up here, but know it, experience it in our lives where we can confidently say, yes, I know Jesus loves me. But what does that actually look like? Like, how do we know that when we put our trust in Christ, how do we come to know this love of God? Well, in our passage today, John points us to three ways that you and I can know God's love. We see the first one come right away in verse 13, where he says, by this, We know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The first thing that John wants us to know about how we can know God's love is that we can know God's love in us. As he moves from defining love to really experiencing God's love, the place that he begins is that when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus, God comes to actually live in us. That the movement from knowing God's love to experiencing God's love comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. That when you trust in Jesus, God gives you his Holy Spirit. He gives you himself to come and to be in you, to be united with your spirit where you can know God and you come to live in God. Theologians have often called this the doctrine of mutual indwelling, which is simply the idea that when you put your faith in Jesus, God comes to live in you and you come to live in God. Jesus actually taught his disciples that this would be the case. And John is picking up on what Jesus had been teaching earlier. If you actually go back to John's gospel and you look at chapter 14, you can see where Jesus teaches his followers about the mutual indwelling that happens through the Holy Spirit. This is John 14, verse 16. It says this, And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then just a couple verses later, he would say in verse 20, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. This is one of the most mind-blowing truths of the Christian faith, that when you trust in Jesus, By the work of the Holy Spirit, God comes to dwell in you. So much so that Jesus could say to his fathers, I, Jesus, will be in you because the Spirit is in you. And you will be in me. See, when you trust in Jesus, you come into this incredible, dynamic relationship where God indwells you and you are in God. 
And so John wants to remind us that if we're to know love, this is where really the experience of love begins. It begins by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we can then know God's love in us. How do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? How do we know that he's in us and we can experience God's love? Well, John gives us two keys. He says in verse 15, I'm sorry, in verse 14, we've seen and testify the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and him in God. You see, when we confess Jesus, both as Savior and as Lord, as the Son of God, then we know we have the Holy Spirit. Now, when John uses the idea of confession here, he's not just saying you can say the words, Jesus is Savior or Jesus is Lord. What he means by confession is that you come to a point in your life where in the deepest sense of your heart, you're able to confess and put your trust to say, Jesus is the Savior. That although I should be separated from God because of my sin, Jesus has come and paid the penalty for my sin on the cross, that he's risen again, and I trust that he saves me. And not only that, I trust that he is the Son of God, the true King and Lord over everything. What John wants to remind us is you cannot confess that in the deepest part of who you are apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. John says earlier, if any spirit does not confess that Jesus is the Christ, he is not of God. You cannot make that determination in your heart apart from the work and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so John says, if in your deepest sense of you, you can confess Jesus is Savior and Lord, then you can know that the Spirit is in you. Even now, while I talk about this, some of you, you have that sense. You know God's love because you know the Spirit in you is confirming right now the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done in his resurrection, death and resurrection. If you don't feel that sense, if you don't feel the Spirit's confirmation, Don't dismay. John wants to invite you that even today you can put your faith in Jesus Christ and you can know God's love in you in the deepest sense of your spirit and soul. Because the first way that we experience God's love is in us. Because God is in us. It's the way his love connects with who we are, where it comes to touch our individual lives. I think uh, author Max Dupree in his book Leadership Jazz gives us a great illustration of the connection of how God's love comes. It actually comes in a story he writes in the book about his granddaughter, Zoe. This is what he writes about Zoe. He says, she was born prematurely and weighed one pound, seven ounces. She was so small that my wedding ring could slide up her arm to her shoulder. Max goes on, the doctor who first examined her told us that she had a five to 10% chance of living three days. To complicate matters more, Zoe's biological father had jumped ship the month before Zoe was born. And realizing this, a wise and caring nurse named Ruth gave me my instructions. She said, for the next several months at least, you're the surrogate father, and I want you to come to the hospital every day to visit Zoe. And when you come, I want you to rub her body and her legs and her arms with the tip of your finger. And while you're doing that, you should tell her over and over how much you love her because she needs to be able to connect your voice to your touch. You see, like Zoe, all of us need to connect the love of God in his voice to the touch of God in our lives. We don't just need to hear that God loves us. We need to know that God loves us. And what John reminds us is that in the Holy Spirit, God comes to touch each one of our lives and say, I love you. 
And you can know that love down deep within your heart. God loves you, and you can know God's love in you. But that's not the only way that John wants us to know that we can know God's love. He goes on in verse 16 and says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You see, John wants us to remind us we've not only come to know God's love because God's in us, but we need also to know that God loves is a love that's for us. He goes on to repeat and remind us God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And so he reminds us of that mutual indwelling, that we can know God's love. Not only that it's in us, but that God's love is for us, that it has our best interest in mind. In fact, verse 16 here parallels verse 14 in a way to remind us of the reality of God's love for us. In fact, New Testament scholar Karen Job says it this way. She says, this parallel in verse 16 reinforces the thought that the sending of the Son as the Savior is the expression of God's love for us. See, we not only know that God's love in us, we know God's love is for us because of Jesus, because God sent his Son to be the Savior. That's why one of the great verses that Many of you have heard before John 3.16 reminds us, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. You see, God's love is best expressed through Jesus. And when we see Jesus, that he comes as the willing sacrifice to save us, we see and know that God's love is for us. It has our best interests in heart. It moves us towards who God desires for us fully to be. How do we experience that love that is for us? Well, John gives it to us in verse 17. He says, By this is love perfected with us, that we have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in the world. You see, the way that we know and experience God's love being for us is as we are more and more transformed by the love that is in us. That word that John uses, by this love is perfected, has the idea of completion, the idea of a goal, something that you're moving or aiming towards. And what John wants us to know is because God's love is for us, God desires to move in our lives where we are more and more perfected, more and more completed in his love, that it transforms us from the inside out. And as we're more and more transformed in and by that love, we come to know more and more a God who is for us and whose love is for us. John says this can happen in such a way that it gives us confidence in the day of judgment. The Bible reminds us time and time again that there is a day coming when Jesus will return. And when he returns, he does so to judge the living and the dead, to take evil and sin and all its effects and to remove it from God's world completely and establish his kingdom fully and finally on a new heaven in, or on a new earth with a new heaven. That this is what is going to come, a day of judgment. But what John wants to remind us here is when you know God's loves for you, when you grow and are transformed by it more and more, you can have confidence in that day that when God comes to judge, he will not reject you but he will actually invite you into his eternal love and kingdom that you can experience an eternity of God's love. How can we have confidence in that? Because of Jesus. 
Because God's love for us is best seen and experienced in Jesus, so much so that we don't have to fear punishment. That's why John says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, as we grow and experience the transforming power of God's love in our life, we grow in confidence in such a way that fear is removed in our relationship with God. Where we experience more of his love and we don't fear punishment because we know God loves us. You see, all of us, we're consciously aware of our failures, of our mistakes, of our sin. And all of us, we long, we long for someone to come and tell us it's going to be okay. Because our sin breeds fear, but God loves can transform that. I was actually reminded of this by a, a great uh, little uh, comic strip from, the, uh, from Calvin and Hobbes. I don't know if you guys know Calvin and Hobbes. It's often referred to as one of the last great comic strips because I think comic strips are d- dying with a lot of print media. Uh, but I stumbled across this great little illustration, and if you don't know Calvin and Hobbes, it was written by Bill Watterson, and it's the story of young Calvin, who's a six-year-old boy, and his, uh, his stuffed animal, Hobbes, who's a stuffed tiger who comes alive whenever parents aren't around. And in one, uh, one series of the comic strip, uh, Calvin wrecks his parents' car. He accidentally backs it out of the driveway, and in one of the stories, his mom comes to find him, and Calvin is actually hiding in, uh, in a tree. And uh, you, can, you can kind of see it on behind, behind me, but for those of you online who can't maybe see it as easily, I just want to read this for us because I think it's a great illustration of what we all long for. Calvin's mother spots Calvin in the tree and says, There you are. Come down so I can talk to you. No, you'll kill us. We're running away, Calvin replies. I'm not going to kill you, his mother reassures him. I just want to find out what happened. Are you okay? Was anyone hurt? No, Calvin replies. No one was hurt. We were pushing the car into the drive and it kept rolling. The car didn't hit anything, his mother asks. And Calvin says, it just went across the road and into the ditch. That's when we took off. Well, the tow truck pulled it out and there's no damage. Holding out her arm, she continues, so you can come home now. But Calvin peeks his head around the tree, as you can see, and says, let's hear you say you love me. You see, there's something about our sin that creates in us fear. Even as kids, when we make mistakes, there's a natural fear that we feel towards our parents, and we long for the reassurance that comes and says, it's going to be okay, I love you. And we not only experience that in our relationship with our parents, we experience it in our relationship with God. For many of us, our sin causes us to hide, hide parts of us, hide things from other people, And even try to hide them from God because we don't want him to see these things. We put them away somewhere back in our soul where we try to ignore them or push them down or shove them out as much as possible. Like our first parents who hid from God, we hide these things all the time, looking, longing, waiting for someone to come along and reassure us with those great words, I love you. What John wants to remind us is that in Jesus, God comes to us and he says, I love you love you. And I don't just love you and love part of you. I love all of you, mess and all. And this is what our hearts truly long for, to know love in such a way that we know it's for us, not against us. 
that we're not afraid, but that it brings a freedom to remove fear. Our hearts yearn for that sort of love. I was reminded of that even this week. Our life groups have been studying this book, Placed for a Purpose. And in chapter 3, there's a great little quote that reminded me of just how much our hearts long to be known and to be loved. The quote actually comes from another book called The Meaning of Marriage by Dr. Timothy Keller. And this is what he writes in that book. He says, When over the years someone has seen you at your worst and knows you with all your strengths and falls, yet commit flaws, yet commits himself or herself to you wholly, it is a consummate experience. To be loved and but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known, and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. You see, God sees not just the best parts of you. He sees the worst parts of you. He sees the parts of you that you try to hide from everyone else around you because he's God. But in his grace, in his kindness, in his love, he looks at those parts and he says, I still love you. So much so that I sent my son to die for those things so that you can know my incredible, transforming love. Some of you, you walked into this room today carrying the baggage and weight, wondering if God can love that part of you. Some of you right now are sitting at home in your living room and you feel that twinge of doubt in the back of your mind that wonders, can God really love me? And what John wants to remind us is that in Jesus, God looks right at the worst part of you and says, I love you. I I love you. I don't love some better version of you. I don't love you 10 years from now. I don't love you if you just clean things up enough. No, he looks at us in our worst moment and he says, I love you. Roman tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. It was when we were at our worst that God stepped in and says, I am for you, not against you. I love you. And when we come to put our faith in Jesus Christ, we come to experience that love that begins a transformative work that perfects us in such a way that we never fear God. And one day we will be completely perfected in his kingdom where we will only experience his eternal love forever and ever. You can know God's love in you, but you can also know that God's love is for you. But there's a third way that John wants us to know God's love this morning, and it comes in verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John, once again, comes back to a call that he's given us throughout this book, that we are called to love one another, that you and I are to be people of love. But what John wants us to recognize in this section this morning is that the love that God calls for us to have with one another ultimately comes from the love God has in us and for us. You see, we need not only to know those things, we need to know God's love between us. Because the love that God has for us, it's not a separate thing. 
The love that we are called to have for one another, it's not like there's God's love over here and our love over here. No, our love is a manifestation of God's love. It's only as we truly know God's love that we then experience that between us. In fact, New Testament scholar Marion Thompson says that God does not give us some power or ability apart from his own presence that motivates us to love. God loves us, and it is the very love of God that empowers us to love. You see, if we're truly to know God's love, to know it and experience it, then it has to move in such a way that it grows into the way we love one another. To truly know the self-sacrificial love of God is to live in a way in which we sacrifice ourselves for those around us. That's essentially John's point in verse 20. You can't say, I love God and hate your brother. That's a contradiction. He says that person is a liar, which is a strong language. Why? Because his essential point is you can't say that you love an invisible spiritual God if you can't love a tangible physical human being. Because if you truly experience God's love, then you will and it will move in you in such a way that you love those around you. This is the command. This is the thing that Jesus called us to time and time again, that to truly know God's love is to love one another. That's why John says, and this is the command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And I imagine in this moment, John's thinking back to the teachings he heard from Jesus. Teachings like John 13, 34, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Or I'm sure he thought back to the moment where Jesus was challenged by the lawyer who came to him and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the thing I must do above all other things? And Jesus said to him, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. But Jesus didn't stop there. You see, every, everyone in Jesus' audience would have expected him. Certainly, everyone knew in the Old Testament law to love God with everything you have is the greatest commandment. But Jesus went on to connect it with something else. And he said, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. You see, for Jesus, the love that manifests itself in the way we love one another only can come from knowing God's love. So if we, either, if we don't love one another, then we don't know God's love. And if we know God's love, we should love one another. You see, sometimes we hinder in our experience of knowing God's love because for whatever reason, our sin, our fallenness, we never let God's love transform us in such a way that we live lives of love. Yet this, this is what marks us as Christians. This is how we know God's love, that we are his and he is ours. The love that we manifest to one another is what marks us. You know, recently my son and I, we were watching an NFL football game a few weeks ago. And while we were watching the game, one of the coaches on the screen had a large uh, silver necklace with a large cross on it during the game. And my son just made a comment to me. He said, hey, dad, he must be a Christian. And I 
went on to explain to him that just because somebody wears a cross doesn't necessarily mean they are Christian, whether or not they are. We, we can't really know just by a symbol. Oftentimes, the cross has been culturally appropriated in a whole number of ways. But it got me thinking, what really does mark a Christian? Like, what marks us? How do we know who a Christian is, and how are we to be known? How do we identify ourselves? The 20th century apologist and theologian Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called The Mark of the Christian, where he asked the same thing. And in the opening of his book, he says this. He says, Through the centuries, men have displayed many different symbols to show they are Christians. They have worn marks in the lapels of their coats, hung chains about their necks, even had special haircuts. But there is a much better sign, a universal mark that is to last through all the ages of the church till Jesus comes back. Schaefer goes on then to quote John 13, 35, a new commandment I give to you to love one another. And then he says, love for one another is the universal mark of the Christian. It's how we are to be known. See, if we are genuinely followers of Jesus, how would others know that we are his disciples, that we are followers of him? This is a question we've come back to time and time again in this book. How would they know us? By the clothes we wear? By the words we use or don't use? By the chain around our neck? Because we come to church and do the sort of things Christians should do? What John says is no, the way that we are known is by our radical, sacrificial love. This is what marks us because this is what marks our Savior. He loved us in this way. And if we come to truly know that love, we will then in turn love others around us in the same way. God's love is incredible. It's incredible. It's a reality that transforms the very core of our being. It's because of God's love that we can be pulled from death to life, from darkness to light that we can have our very reality, our relationships with him and with others completely transformed. We started this morning by reminding ourselves of that great simple truth proclaimed in that song, yes, Jesus loves me. What we see in this passage is that love isn't just a nice idea relegated to a song sung in a kid's classroom but that God's love is complete and total and that we can know it. We can know it in our lives in such a way that it transforms us from the inside out. We can know it in such a way that fear is cast out and freedom is experienced, where we can have confidence in our relationship with God and confidence in our eternity. We can know God's love in such a way that it even transforms the very nature of the relationships that we have around us. God's love is amazing. There is nothing like it. And the most incredible thing about all of it is that we can know it. How? By simply believing in Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to know God's love in you, for you, between us, 
Through Jesus and his atoning work on the cross, God has made his love available to each one of us. If you're here this morning and you don't know that love, man, all God invites you to do is just put your faith in Jesus Christ. That he is the savior of the world. That he is the true son of God and Lord of all. Start with Jesus, and as you do, you will begin to experience the most incredible love you could ever know. So much so that you can sing with confidence, Jesus loves me, this I know. I pray this morning that you would know the love of God. And if you're here this morning and you have put your faith in Jesus, but maybe you felt that love raining. Maybe you've wondered and doubted. Maybe even this week, those moments flooded your mind. Here again, God says, I love you. I pray that would change your whole world. Let me take a moment and just pray for you this morning. Lord God, we... Stand just for a moment right here, just amazed at your love. That before you laid the foundations of the world, you saw the mess we would be. You saw the brokenness of our world. You saw every sin of every person. You knew we'd turn our backs on you. You knew like rebels, we'd disobey your rules. We pursue our own path. That we bring injustice and unrighteousness and brokenness to all the pieces and parts of our world. Yet, in that moment, you still loved us. You loved us so much that in that very moment, you enacted a plan to send your son to come to this earth to live perfectly in your love, always accepted by you, but then go to that cross and experience your rejection so that we could be accepted. When he hung on that cross and he cried out, it is finished. It wasn't because he was done. It was because in that moment, love won a victory for all of us, that we could be reunited to you. That sin would be conquered and no more. That death would no longer hold power over us. That the enemy would be defeated. And three days later, he'd rise from that tomb to declare there's a new world coming. A world marked by the love of God forever and ever. And so we just stand in this moment, Jesus, amazed, amazed, that you'd be willing to follow that plan, to give yourself for us, to demonstrate the love of God in your self-sacrifice. God, our hearts crave to know your love, a love that you've shown so well, but it's easy to know that up here, God, but we want to know it in the depths of our very being and soul. And I pray right now for every single person in this room and watching online that they would look to Jesus and as they do, they would know 
your love. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who've never put their faith in Jesus Christ, would you lead them to see the truth of your love in Jesus? Would you bring them to that place of surrender to confess you as Savior and Lord? Would you begin that transformative work? God, for those that are here that are dealing with doubts, struggles, their past, their sins, maybe they're in just that winter moment of life, would you right now by your Holy Spirit flood them with the truth of your love? Would you overwhelm them with your compassion and your kindness? Would they feel in the depths of their being the truth that you love them, you know them, you're for them? Would all of us, even now, as we just respond in song and worship, would you give us that touch? that touch afresh of your spirit that helps us to know your love, not just know your voice, but to know it in the depth of who we are. Move now, we pray. We love you and ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.